0: Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. We provide content to help men become the men they want to be. My name is Brent and I am the Fallible Man. I'm not perfect, I don't have all the answers even, but I'm on a journey just like you. Maybe we can help each other along the way. I'm glad you're joining me today. I've got a great show for you and I'm really looking forward to it. Today, we're going to talk about how a lot of people sabotage their marriage from the beginning. I mean, before they even get married, a lot of people are sabotaging their marriages. We're going to talk about why people sabotage their marriages and five ways, count them, five ways that you can protect your marriage from the very beginning, guys. Please stick around. I hope you're going to enjoy the show. If you believe in what we're doing here, guys, and you want to be a part of it, head over to Patreon. You can directly support me. There's a link through my website, you can go there directly. Your support makes these shows possible, and my supporters have direct input onto or into the content we create on this channel. So, guys, stick around. We're going to run the opening credits, and uh, I'll be right with you.
1: This is the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man husband, and father. Here is your host, The Fallible Man, Brent Dowling.
0: Welcome back, guys. Like I said, my name is Brent, and I am The Fallible Man. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the family, guys. We are men who want to make ourselves better. We want to improve incrementally and just be better men because we believe masculinity is important and vital in this world, and growing as a man is the best way you can Help this world. It's just to improve yourself. So, today I told you we're talking about marriage. So, I wanna I wanna tell you a story. Maybe you're familiar with the light bulb. If you happen to be watching this on our YouTube channel, instead of listening to it on the podcast, you'll see there's a lot of light. I know my lighting still stinks, guys. Sorry about that. But you're all probably familiar with the light bulb. In fact, you might even have a few of these wonderful inventions laying around your house. Even if you weren't, didn't know, they're, they're probably there. And they're all kinds of different shapes and sizes. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm fooling around. I know you guys all know what a light bulb is. Okay, maybe you're even aware that a guy named Edison is credited with the electric light bulb. Which isn't entirely correct. See, you're probably less aware of the fact that Edison was continuing on top of almost 80 years of work and research that was already going on in creating a light bulb. Hey guys, grab a cup of coffee, stick around, you're going to enjoy this, this is going to be cool. So Edison, Edison was an inventor, right? We all know that Edison, or if you know your history at all, Edison has tons of patents to this day. And Edison was an inventor. One of the things that Edison judged his work on is how successfully he could market his work after he made it. So Edison is credited with the de- creation of the light bulb, but he mainly perfected a design. Early versions of the light bulb used platinum as a filament. Guys, if you're shopping for rings or thinking about getting married, then you know platinum is really expensive. So that wasn't going to work well. Edison perfected a design that would work for mass adoption of the light bulb the electric light bulb to the general populace you see for something to go into mass production and the whole world to accept it you have to balance manufacturing costs on one hand and how much you can sell it for they have to if it costs you this much to make that means you have to sell it for this much right this is basic economics guys if it costs you x amount to make then you have to sell it for y well, the problem is, if Y is too high, then it doesn't matter. No one's going to buy it. So you have to get the manufacturing cost down to where you can get the price down to where people will pay for whatever it is. And that was that was Edison's forte, is perfecting that balance. That's how he judged all of his inventions. And we're talking about a guy who has hundreds of patents. But that was his forte. He was great at finding this balance. In the years after Edison perfected this little tidbit that made manufacturing inexpensive to where you could actually sell them to the general populace and get widespread adoption because it was a reasonable price for a convenience, life was good, right? Light bulbs became widespread. We all moved away from gas lamps and oil and stuff like that. And as electricity, electrical lines started connecting the world, we all started using light bulbs. Light bulb, right? So, the problem became, as light bulb technology increased, well, a problem occurred. As technology moved along, the light bulbs got better and better and better and better. In fact, they got too good. Light bulbs got so efficient, that they would last for years under normal use. In fact, there's a light bulb hanging in firehouse called the Centennial Bulb. It's actually even got its own webcam if you are really that stinkingly bored. And uh, yeah, it's super exciting to watch an old light bulb burn days. That light bulb has been burning for decades. I want to say... And it's called the Centennial bulb, so I'm going to say over 100 years, but, you know, I don't have that fact sheet in front of me, so I'm not going to say that. But, guys, you can check it out. It's called the Centennial bulb. They turned it on, I want to say, pre-1900, and it's been burning ever since. Light bulbs were efficient. Can you imagine not having to change your stupid light bulb all the time? Oh, my goodness, what a headache. All right, if you're a homeowner, or even if you just rent a place, you know exactly what we're talking about here, right? We go through so many light bulbs at my house. Well, it wasn't an accident, guys. The problem was, they got so good and efficient at burning that the profits started draining. In fact, one manufacturer over in Germany that handled light bulbs over in that part of the world saw their sales drop by 40 million units in one year. Now, you don't have to be a businessman or a great entrepreneur to understand that your sales plummeting by 40 million units in the course of one year is devastating to a company. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible, that will run you out of business faster than you can do anything about it. So he got together, he had this great idea. Well, as my children's doctor, uh, as my children's Dr. Sue's book said the other night, Grinch got a horrible, wonderful idea. All right, this manufacturer decided, we're just going to make crappier bulbs. In 1925, he coordinated with the top light bulb manufacturers across the globe. GE was involved with this, which was formerly Edison's own company. Um, oh, and I just went blank. I had another example. One of the other big light bulb manufacturers that you would actually know here, at least in the States, uh, coordinated with it. They actually had about six or seven of the top light bulb manufacturers in the world come together and create the first cartel in history. Now, when you think of the word cartel, you're probably thinking of all of the bad 1980s, 90s movies about drug cartels with, you know, people in really loud shirts, sniffing cocaine and running around with lots of guns in third world countries. It's not what we're talking about. OK, cartel. That's, that's not how the definite, the dictionary defines it. A cartel is mainly a group of people coming together, coordinating on one idea for one benefit. OK. That's a loose translation. Go look it up yourself. Um, Now, I'm not going to put a link anywhere for it. Just go look it up, man. you got a dictionary. you got a computer. Figure it out. But a cartel is not stuck. Drugs is not the only thing. This was actually the first cartel in history. It was called the Phoebus Cartel. The Phoebus Cartel collaborated to limit the burn time of light bulbs from 2,500 hours on average at the time in 1925, a 1,000 hours. This is huge, guys. They went backwards. In fact, they started investing massive money with their engineers to undo years of progress in light bulb manufacturing to make light bulbs last a shorter amount of time, thus creating a higher demand for light bulbs where people had to buy them more often because the lifetime was shorter. And, of course, that wasn't good enough, so they raised the prices on them at the same time. It was kind of like just a double whammy. It was huge. So they raised the prices and lowered the amount of time these light bulbs burned. This made everybody involved much, much richer. Sales went through the roof in a matter of a year and a half. Sales globally more than quadrupled and no one noticed this was happening. Everybody didn't think twice about it. It's a light bulb. It's cheap, right? We throw them out. No big deal. No one actually paid attention, and they got away with it for years. In fact, the Phoebus cartel was only shut down by World War II. Unfortunately for them, it was very hard to coordinate an international cartel when your countries are at war with each other. Communicating with other manufacturers in countries that you're at war with with is a really great way to go to prison for espionage charges and stuff like that. So the Phoebus cartel saw an end to its existence because of World War II. But as it was coming along, other manufacturers, smaller groups who were not part of the cartel, started producing light bulbs that burned longer. For cheaper, and this was also the other half of what undid this group. Now, this is something, it's a process that is known as planned obsolescence. If you're not familiar with that term, I actually did write this definition down here, so forgive me for reading if you're watching this. In economics and industrial design, planned obsolescence is a policy of planning or designing a product with an artificially limited useful life or a purposely frail design. So that it becomes obsolete after a certain predetermined period of time upon which it's decrementally function, decrementally function out function and suddenly ceases to function or might be perceived as unfashionable to have it anymore. Now, before you roll your eyes and walk away from the show, guys, uh, I know. I said this is about marriage, right? Now, even if you are not married, this is still a show for you guys because it's important to know this information and to plan ahead for your marriage. If you want to be a good husband, whether you're married or going to mar- be married someday, then you have to do the research ahead of time. You can't just wing it. Okay, that's a dumb idea. So people, you're you're asking, you know, how's planned obsolescence have to do with relationships and marriage? Well. Let me introduce you to a concept that is actually destroying marriages around the world, and that is the idea of planned obsolescence. Let me explain. Starting a marriage with the idea of divorce being okay as an option if things get rough is a version of planned obsolescence. Going into a relationship, planning on an exit, Creates room for you to not solve trivial issues. Now, maybe that sounds really like I'm stretching here, guys, but stick with me. If you go into something with an exit plan already there, and trust me, I'm all for walking into a room with an exit plan. Some people would call me paranoid, some people would call me prepared, whatever you want to call it. When I walk into a room, I know how to get out of the room. I know every exit from where I'm at. I know where everybody is at, where all the moving pieces are. I walk into a room and I know how to get out. I also know what can be used as a weapon and what possible threat points are in the whole scenario. I call it preparation. Some people call me crazy. I don't know. You can can decide what you want. So I'm all for a backup plan. But here's the problem. It's not a backup plan. When you plan for the possibility of failure, you create room for an acceptable negative endpoint. Let me translate that. So you guys know I talk about obstacle course racing a lot. If you caught the last two podcasts, I hope you guys did. Those were awesome. If not, I highly encourage you to go back. I'll put a little card up here if you're on YouTube. And catch episode 17 and 18. There was a weird breakup in there because I did a, a special Thanksgiving show. But go back to 17 and 18. It's a two-parter with a good friend of mine from At Common Man OCR. who's one of our sponsors. And we were talking about technology and children. And raising children in technology. Um, But Dave and I go way back. Dave was my guest. And we were talking about that and i took him to his very first obstacle course race and when we started that race was over 12 miles long and i told him cuz he was really stressing out about it he wasn't in great shape and he's working on that and you should check out his channel uh on social media he's helping everyday people try and reclaim their health just by living his life but i told him the key Two finishing the race is by going into the race with no other acceptable out. I told him once the race started, once we crossed the starting line, the only acceptable way to leave the field was to cross the finish line or on a stretcher. Those were the two options: there was nothing else. there was no quitting, there was no walking away, there was no giving up. It was cross the start line, cross the finish line. The only other way I'm going off is in a stretcher. I've been doing obstacle course events. I'm not very good at it. I'm just a common guy, guys. I'm not like an exceptional athlete or anything. And I've been doing obstacle course racing for several years. And to this day, when I cross the starting line, that is my mental state. There is only one acceptable way off that field. Otherwise, they're going to have to carry me off. When you go into a marriage, that should be the same thing. Now, I would never advocate for you staying in an unhealthy relationship to the point of you are being abused. Whether you are being physically abused or abused in another way. Guys, I would never advocate for staying in a relationship where you are being abused. That is not healthy, that is not acceptable, and that is not a marriage. Understand me clearly. If you are being abused, get help now. Drop this, go get help. Talk to somebody, find help. Now, short of that, I will tell you, when you start a marriage is crossing a starting line. If you plan for an alternate ending other than the end, till death do us part, you're planning an out. You're creating an artificial way to walk away and walk out of the relationship. That's planned obsolescence. You are planning for it to fail before it ever has a chance to be successful. And if you plan for it to fail before it's successful, that is in your brain and you will work towards that possibility. Mindset is super important. Guys, if you're getting something out of this, be sure and hit the like and subscribe so you'll catch all our shows. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the bell and you'll get notified every time we produce new content be sure and share this with a friend guys if people actually share this with their friends are subscribed 70 percent of my listeners don't actually subscribe to my podcast or to my youtube channel it would triple my following if you guys did and sharing this is by far the best compliment you could ever give me so if you're getting something out of this be sure and share this with somebody else now if you're looking for problems you're going to create them it's a, it's a mindset that is a subconscious thing. Perspective changes everything you do. Andy Gilbert said, if you look for problems, then you're going to find problems. If you look for solutions, you will find solutions. Guys, it's a perspective thing. We've talked about business before. I'm not interested in people who bring me problems. I'm interested in people who bring me solutions. When they come to me with something going on at work, whether it's my normal job or this job, I'm not interested in people who just come to me with a problem. I'm interested in people who are looking for solutions and who are bringing me solutions. Guys, if you go into a relationship looking for a problem, I promise you will find them. A relationship entails two different people coming together. A marriage is two people from separate walks of life coming together and trying to meld. I promise you will find problems. All right, Anybody who's got a perfect marriage with no problems and your spouse and you are perfect and you got to all it all figured out, please comment below. It would be a miracle and we all need to pay attention to what you're saying, obviously. Nobody is perfect. And when you put two non-perfect people together, you're going to have problems and you're going to find problems if that's what you're looking for. But if you go in to a marriage, looking to find solutions and to work through things together, then you have a chance. You can get through anything with a spouse you can communicate with and work together with. But if you go in looking for a problem, that's planned obsolescence. You're going to find a problem just because you're looking for it. You will make things a problem that weren't actually a problem probably just because you are looking for a failure point. Don't do it, guys. This is what kills marriages. People plan for there to be problems. And by Just by creating, or by planning for there to be a problem, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You will find a problem that may not have been big enough if you weren't looking for one. It would have been a little, eh, okay. Stop looking for problems. Because you're sabotaging your marriage. That is how marriages fail. Guys, i got to roll to the sponsor clip today because I'm going long. But, hey, stick with us. We're going to get into part two of this episode. And we're going to talk about why people go into a marriage like this and five ways you can get and just five ways you can make your marriage stronger and better and protect yourself from these things. Stick around.
1: Today's episode brought to you by TheFallibleMan.com. That's right, it's us. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com and check out our blog, updated twice a week with new content and links to all of our social media offerings. Tag or search us at The Fallible Man or at Fallible Man on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social medias for daily content. While you're there, check out our attitude swag, shirts, cups, stickers, and more. Again. That's www.thefallibleman.com.
0: All right, guys, when we're back, hey, head over to the website. Check out what you saw on the clip or what you heard in our clip. We sell t-shirts. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm wearing one of my shirts. If not, head over to our website. we got a lot of gear, guys. It's how I pay for doing all this. Check us out. It's a lifestyle. The Fallible Man is a lifestyle. It's about the way you choose to live your life. In the first half of the show, we were talking about planned obsolescence and how the fact that if you go into a marriage with a plan other than I'm going to see this through till death throws part, you are sabotaging yourself from the beginning. You are creating an out that didn't need to be there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about why people do this. There are people who are much, much smarter than, than me. Um, and you should probably check out their channel with the psychology stuff. But let me give you two major reasons people approach their relationships like this and it really boils down to two very simple things people are either one afraid of being hurt so they sabotage themselves from the beginning and going guarded planning for that person to hurt them so they're looking for a problem because they're afraid of being hurt and they want to pull the plug before the other person does it's protection it is a way to protect yourself if you are afraid of being hurt emotionally, the other option is a lot of people, for some reason, have a very low self-esteem. I don't understand this; my ego has never been a problem for me at least in that sense of the word, uh, probably a lot of times the other way, on the opposite end of that, but people, for some reason think that they don't deserve to be happy. I don't understand why people feel this way. I've had friends who are this way. They literally just feel like they don't deserve to be happy. And so they totally sabotage themselves. When they go in, they're so sure that they don't deserve to be happy that they end up sabotaging themselves and sabotaging their own relationship. Now, I've been told in the past I had self-destructive ten- tendencies, and that's possible. I I don't know. But I've been told that I can be a little bit self-destructive if I'm not very careful. I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. And I have very mildly a lot of people honestly don't think they deserve to be happy. And so they go out of their way to sabotage good things in their lives because of this deep core belief that they don't deserve to be happy, and that's horrible, guys. It's wrong. You deserve to be happy. Okay? If you, no one else tells you this, hear it from me. You deserve to be happy. Will you have to work for it? Absolutely. For sure. But you deserve to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. You are worthwhile as an individual and you deserve to be happy. So be happy. Okay? Stop selling yourself short. Stop hurting yourself. Stop sabotaging relationships, whether it's friendships or marriage or romantic-style relationships. Stop sabotaging yourself. You deserve to be happy and you are worthwhile. That's from me, the fallible man to you guys. You are worthwhile. And you deserve to be happy. You will have to work for it. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with working for it, but you deserve to be happy. So work on becoming happy and allowing yourself to be that way. Now, I want to talk about five, 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 oh, too many cameras. Sorry. I want to talk about five ways to protect your marriage before you're married. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't do marriage episodes very often. I've been married for 19 and a half years. Um, I did a Thanksgiving special with a good friend of mine, uh, Sean McNay, where we talked about the value of gratitude and, uh, he, he gave me a hard time. I did actually remember my anniversary and so did he. So we both did well. Our wives watched it. Neither of us were in trouble. It's a good day. But guys, I've been married for 19 and a half years to an amazing woman, I'm incredibly blessed that she puts up with me every day. I love my wife. Sarah is amazing. And I just feel very blessed to have her in my life. And we're both raised with a healthy respect for marriage. So both of us had already put some thought into it before we got married, which definitely helps. But I want to give you five ways because I'm getting long here. So I want you to take the Dory apart. Number one, sorry. I want you to take the Dory approach before you start. And this is the same thing I told you the first part of the show. It is exactly my friend actually hit me during our first race because I just kept saying, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. He yeah, so mad. Um, but that is the approach. Okay. Once you cross that finish, that start line, just keep swimming. You know, sharks are one of the scariest things in the ocean. They're one of the most terrifying things on the face of the earth, right? We all have a deep-seated, healthy fear of sharks. Now, I don't think there's some crazy monster that's just out to get people. Usually it's an accident when they come face-to-face with humans or when humans get hurt. Um, but they're a terrifying thing. They they exist for one reason, and that's to hunt and kill. That's what they are made for. You know what will kill a shark? If it stops moving. Sharks swim forever. They never stop. Just like a shark, guys, or like Dory, if you're a Disney fan, just keep swimming. If you take the Dory approach and understand from the minute you say I do, you're crossing a starting line. Till death do us part is the finish line. No other way out. Take the Dory approach. You can work through anything as a married couple as long as you are both focused on reaching the end together. So take the Dory approach. That's number one. Number two. I want you to have the conversations you've never had in your life, not with anybody else. Talk about things specifically that you don't do more than five times a year at most. Now, let me give you an example. I'm talking about Christmas. Talk to, if you are looking at getting married, talk to the person you are, you're thinking about marrying, about what their Christmas traditions were growing up. Talk about what your Christmas traditions were growing up. Talk about what you guys dream about doing for summer vacation together. Talk about how you envision raising children. How were you raised? How do you envision raising children? How does she or he envision raising children? Talk about things that aren't everyday conversations beforehand. Guys, I've done marriage counseling, and this is one of the most useful, like I've been in marriage counseling, but I've also done, as a former minister, I've done marriage counseling this is one of the most important things I ever told anybody. There are a huge, Ooh, I'm sorry. I hit my mic. There is a huge swath of things that you don't talk about on a daily basis. When you're getting to know somebody, it's, it's incredible. The things you don't think about talking about when you're in that kind of a uh, romantic relationship, you talk about really surface level stuff. Most of the time, talk about things you don't do. Talk about how you spend the 4th of July. Talk about how you feel about Halloween, what you do for Halloween. Talk about where you're going to spend Thanksgiving and how that's going to work. Talk about things you don't do very often because those are the things you're going to butt heads on. What you both want for dinner is not what you're going to fight about all the time. You'll argue about that, but it'll be stupid. But where you run into problems is the things you don't think about talking about. So have conversations about stuff you don't do more than one or two times a year. Number three. Put us time, like date nights, on the calendar in stone. Both of you have your own calendar. You're both busy people, right? This is a busy world. If you watch any of our episodes or listen to any of our episodes, you know this is an incredibly busy world as far as I'm concerned. We are busier than we've ever been in human history. Even if there's no actual, like, it's busy being non-important busy stuff, we make ourselves busy. Put it on the calendar, in stone. Protect it at all cost. Create us time and lock it in there as solid as if you were going to work. Like you have to have it or you're going to lose your job. Make it such a priority that nothing else can interfere with it so you always have that time to connect with this just you two. Number four. Learn each other's languages. Now, I told you, I grew up doing a lot of, uh, I grew up in the church and so I grew up with a healthy respect for marriage. I went to a lot of marriage classes years before I was ever in a serious relationship. But one of the studies I did a long time ago with my wife is a book called the five love languages. It's Gary something. Um, I will put a link in the description if you're looking on this on, in the show notes or on Amazon, uh, sorry. For the Amazon listing, I'll put a link in the description either in the show notes or on the show notes for YouTube or both. Guys, The Five Love Languages is a really easy read and there are not a lot of books I would recommend for a relationship, but this one out of years and years, guys, of knowing guys who marriage is their life, marriage is their business, The Five Love Languages is an important book. And it's very accurate. You don't have to be religious. You have to be in love. If you want a healthy relationship, learn each other's love languages. Because I promise there's a good chance that you two do not say I love you the exact same way. You'll have two out of five that are your primary and secondary and the other three will fall down behind that. I can almost guarantee you that you're... Love languages will not not match up perfectly with the person you're marrying. Learn each other's love languages. It will make a huge difference in how successful your marriage is. And guys plan number five or point number five, however you want to say it. Plan out how to fight so you both win very recently, like about a year and a half ago, I was introduced to a uh, seminar. And a book that I had never read before, by Doctor Les and Leslie Parrot or Perot. I, I can't say their name right. I don't know if it's Parrot or Perot. However, you now, uh, however, you properly say their name. But they've been their books have been featured, and their marriage seminar has been featured on like huge like Oprah and CNN and all kinds of people have reviewed their stuff. Their specialty is they have a a seminar called Fight Night. They have a book called The Good Fight. I'll put a link for it too. Guys, learn how to fight so you both come out as winners. And I'm not just talking about makeup, okay? We're not talking about fun makeups. I'm talking about learn how to fight with each other in a positive way so you both come out better instead of bitter. Can I say that again? That's a tongue twister. Learn how to fight in a way where you both come out better, not bitter. Guys, I hope you got something out of this. I kind of rushed through those points. I know the show's getting long today. We live in a world of things that are just planned obsolescence. Okay, comment down below if you hold your cell phone for more than two years. Look at how fast we trade go through cars, cell phones. Um, I work in the world of IT. Okay, a server is out of date after three years. The planned life expectancy for a half a million dollar piece of equipment is three years. Everything these days is made to be temporary. Everything is made to break. Everything is made to break down. The world is full of short-term concepts. Don't let your marriage be one of them. If you're trying to be a good husband, fight for your... Marriage. If you're thinking about getting married, be a good husband and fight for your marriage before it ever starts. Take the opportunity to get ahead and prepare yourself to be the best husband you can be. And if you are married, be the best husband you can be, guys. It is worth it to be a good husband. Stop being temporary in a temporary world. Marriage was meant from I do till death do us part, guys. So plan to protect your marriage and have a healthy marriage. Stop living this world of short-term temporary stuff. Don't start your marriage like the rest of the world with a planned short shelf life. Start your marriage and go start to finish the way it was meant to be. Guys, my name is Brent. I am The Fallible Man. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate the time you spend with me and that you take time out of your incredibly busy life to spend time with me. I hope you got something out of here. Drop a comment, a like, whatever. I'd love to hear what you have to say about the show. And until next time, be better tomorrow because of what you
1: do today. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.